Hello and welcome to College Football Throwdown, episode 55. I am your co-host, Alex Schmitz, and today I'm joined by my dad, Peter Schmitz. Hey there, Husker fans and college football fans. Wow, it's number 55 already. Yep, not bad, huh? Wow, that's amazing. done a number of these things. Um, And it's crazy to believe that here we are at the end of the regular season of college football. Um, I know. It doesn't feel like it was that long ago that this all started. I know. It's, and it's uh, there's always a sadness for me when when this weekend arrives, and uh, and there's no longer a slate of games. I mean, you got the Army Navy game that's going to happen this coming weekend, and the NFL, I mean the uh, Heisman Trophy uh, award ceremony and stuff. But still, it's just a little bit, a little bit sad. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it is. It's always a little sad. Well, and I certainly I had fun this weekend. Uh, I was jumping between. I was at a little Star Wars event here in L.A., and then I jumped over uh, to the a bar to watch the the Big Ten and the ACC uh, championship games. So those were going on right. at the same time. Uh-huh. Uh huh. So that was pretty wow. fun. Uh, but for those of you who are new to the podcast, uh, this is College Football Throwdown. We are a college football podcast by college football fans for college college football fans. We talk about the sport in general, but also the Nebraska Cornhuskers, which we love. Uh, and there's some big news to talk about with them, as uh, we predicted on the last podcast and was quite obvious to anybody paying attention, uh, that Nebraska uh, had a head coach in mind that they were going to offer. And uh, this past Saturday, he accepted that offer, uh, and it was officially announced that Scott Frost is the new head coach at the University of Nebraska. Yes, absolutely. And it just, uh, it's really nice. It feels good. Uh, You know, we've had, regretfully, to go through a few of these coaching uh, uh, fires and hires, changes, if you will, uh, over the last uh, 15 to 20 years now. Um, And uh, I, I think this one feels a little a little different than the others just because of that connection to, to home, to the fact that Scott understands the, the culture and the expectation as well as the, the, what, what, you know, he must deliver for Nebraska fans to be excited. And it's not just about, Oh, he's got to win championships and he's got to win a lot and all that. Obviously that's the expectation of what people want, but it's also about the, how we do it and what we uh, want to demand of our, of our student athletes that represent the the school in the state uh, because we've worked hard to to kind of establish that tradition. And we seem to have fallen away from that a little bit. And we've witnessed some teams that didn't seem to have quite the heart that we needed them to have. And so now we'll, we'll see if Scott's got the, uh, the plan, so to speak, to make that happen. Right. Well, and I was thinking back, I remember there being some excitement when Bo was hired um, because yes. Tom Osborne was back in the, was in the AD seat choosing him and he yep. was the, one of the hot coordinators in the country and he had, uh, what was it after Frank Solich was fired? He coached us in the bowl game. After Frank Solich uh, was fired. Well, he, he coached in Frank's last season. So he was the defensive coordinator on Nebraska staff the last season that Frank was in Lincoln. Right. But he... uh, and then, and then he had coached. Yes. He was the head coach after Frank, uh, was fired, um, for the bowl game, but then did not get the job. Correct. Uh, did, didn't really even get a legitimate interview, which, which pissed him off at the time. Uh, but, uh, but then he did come back with Tom and you're right. The closest thing I can say to this one was the, was the Bo Pelini uh, hire, and we certainly had great expectations and optimism about what Bo was going to be able to do. Um, and frankly, Bo still had the potential to be a great collegiate head coach. He just failed in some personality and and approach departments, if you will, that led to his demise as the head coach at Nebraska. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, you know, we we look back on that era, you know, with some negativity, you know, some disappointment, but at the same time, he, we still talk about, you know, he won nine games every year, you know, um, that's nothing yeah. to sneeze at. For no, sure. that's true. That's true. Uh, but there is an importance in how you do it. And, and the fact that you have to embrace the people of the state because the, the people of the state first and foremost view the team as theirs. And right. so there has to be a collective mentality. And I think Scott understands that. 
to a, a far greater extent than, than Bo ever did. I definitely agree with that. Uh, so it was being reported that um, Scott, the deal that Scott got was a $35 million contract for seven years. So $5 million a year, um, but more importantly, perhaps that seven-year time frame, which means that Bill Moose is seeing this as a more long-term commitment. Correct, and, and he stated that actually in his press conference because obviously that was one of the questions, you know, is why the contract and why the length of the contract and things like that because typically, uh, you know, at, at, for new head coaches, you know, when they get hired – they get five years, you know, and then it, it comes up with some kind of standard rolling five years where every year you get a one year extension that keeps you at five years. Right. Um, but but uh, I think Bill Moose's point in making it a seven year contract was to, to convey publicly to everyone, uh, including us fans, as well as other teams and, and, and everyone uh, media uh, that this is uh, a long-term rebuild project. He recognizes that. Scott Frost recognizes that. And they're trying to set a tone of expectation that, hey, this isn't going to happen overnight. And that's something that I think, uh, uh, to, to some extent, you know, our previous coach, Mike Riley, was poor at doing, was he didn't understand when he needed to uh, put, a, put a, a hose, a fire hose on expectations if he knew that he didn't have the goods, you know, whereas with him, everything seemed tended to be all rosy and there was all this great optimism and there were all these positive comments and reports coming out of you know, practices and spring practice and everything. Uh, I think, uh, I think Bill Moose and Scott are going to take much more of a guarded and uh, measured approach in terms of how they communicate expectation. Right. And since you were able to watch the press conference, maybe you can explain this to me. Um, because he, Scott Frost, is going to coach the uh, Peach Bowl game that UCF is now in after uh, defeating Memphis here in their championship game and being the AAC champion. Uh, they're going to be playing Auburn in the Peach Bowl, um, and Scott Frost is going to coach that game. However, he's leaving uh, game preparations to his offensive coordinator, who is currently the interim coach there at UCF. Is that correct? That is correct. Yes. And, uh, and a number of the coaches on the staff are going to be uh, splitting time between being down, um, preparing the team, uh, and coaching the team in their preps preparation for the bowl game, as well as being on the road and making phone calls and that sort of stuff. So they're going to be flying all about, you know, uh, they'll be, uh, probably down in Florida during the week, you know, uh, coaching on any given day, I suspect they're going to have, a certain number of an offensive and defensive coaches at every practice. Others will be on the road recruiting. Then that group will leave and the other group will go out. And, you know, the, that'll be a couple of days. They'll be at home or, you know, yeah, at their home, uh, you know, coordinating uh, 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 phone calls and, you know, evaluating recruits and all that as they try to pull together a, a, re a recruiting class out of this whole mess. Um, now there is going to come a point here where uh, a dead period will begin. Uh, so, uh, so as to keep, uh, you know, every coach off the road during the holiday season. And for all those coaches that are involved in bowl games, they're not uh, viewed as viewing the bowl game as a disadvantage because the other coaches are out on the road recruiting. Um, so they create a dead period where nobody can do that. Right. And as a result, th that makes this a little bit more doable because you're not falling behind, so to speak. You still got to make your phone calls and everything like that, um, and, you, and you don't get to do it 24-7 like the guys who aren't, aren't coaching a bowl game. But frankly, there's so many bowl games now that if your team's not in a bowl game, it means you kind of had a bad year. So those, those aren't the teams that we necessarily are, 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 are too concerned about competing against, right? We, we, we want to be competing for athletes that are going to those types of schools that are being successful right. already. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Now, so. now, my question is, uh, does this mean that UCF is going to hold off on hiring their new head coach until after no. this bowl game? Oh, oh no, no, no. Uh, okay. They're going to they're gonna hire their new coach so that that new coach can, can immediately start putting its, his staff together and, and start, um, you know, uh, building for the future. And in so doing, though, it's, it was made clear by the athletic director at UCF that Danny White is his name. 
it was made clear by him that that Frost is going to coach along with his staff is going to coach the team because they collectively recognize that their best chance to have success and to compete in that game would be with Scott and his staff uh, at the helm, right? You couldn't walk in to uh, and have the new coach coach this team, as particularly given the type of offensive system that's in place, right? The, this, this uh, you know, spread it out, throw the ball all over the place. Um, um, I'll call it Oregon-based offense, um, right. you know, is unique enough that, that if you were a traditional coach, you come in, you'd be asking your, your offensive linemen and your, and your uh, quarterbacks and wide receivers to do things that they have not practiced for the whole year. That does not put them in the best position to win or even compete in that game. Now, with all this being said, and I admire Scott for, for staying with it, uh, I, I will be shocked, and I mean truly shocked, if at the end of the day, when game day comes for the Peach Bowl, that Scott is able to hang with with uh, with Auburn. If those guys do hang with Auburn, I don't mean win, but if they're just able to make it interesting, and let's say in the you know beginning of the fourth quarter, it's still undecided, that's a victory in my mind because they don't have the athletes to even compare on the field to Auburn, uh, and uh, so so if they can find a way to do that with Auburn's great defensive talent. Um, I would say that would be a huge, huge victory for um, uh, Central Florida's perception uh, and also for Scott Frost and his staff. Yeah, no, I, I definitely would agree with you there. Um, it's definitely going to be interesting because that just strikes me as such an odd you know, coaching situation where you have Scott Frost and his staff coaching UCF, but then also being at Nebraska and then also having the new UCF coach and his staff there, um, but not coaching the team at the time, you know, a lot of uh, conflicting right. interests for sure. Um, yeah. But, but well, it, well, it, it's a unique circumstance because Nebraska isn't going to a bowl game. And personally, right. I'm a little bit excited because it means I have something to cheer for in bowl season. Yeah. Exactly. Well, it will be a game with obviously where we'll have great interest. I just wish that he might have, uh, you know, uh, might have just fallen where he could have gotten a different, uh, a different team to play. Auburn was the 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 worst choice they could have made for him. You know, I, 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 as opposed to some of the other teams that are in those uh, New Year's Day six games, uh, I sure would have liked uh, uh, him to be able to play maybe some of those other teams that was in that, that I would, that I believe he would have had a better chance of competing against. Frankly, him playing with his UCF team against Ohio state, for example, would, or USC might very well have been a more uh, reasonable matchup than the Auburn one. I truly believe Auburn is that good. Uh, and, and it's just the way it fell because Auburn had, you know, the losses that they have, uh, you know, they, they lost early in the season to Clemson they lost um, to LSU, to LSU, and then uh, and now to Georgia. So they've got three losses, and uh, so that's why they kind of put themselves in that situation. But but from what I what I I test as they now is a common statement. Mm-hmm. My eye test says Auburn is an extremely talented team that it, it, only a few teams could compete with, and Georgia obviously being one of them, uh, and Clemson, you know, yep. who are both in the college football playoffs. <laughs> right. Exactly. No, I, I agree with you there. That's, it's going to be an interesting game for sure. Uh, now, uh, like I said, I wasn't able to watch the press conference. Um, what was your impression of uh, Bill Moose and Scott at that, as well as what you've seen just here in these first couple of days in terms of um, them offering recruits um, a scholarships and things of that nature. Right. Okay. So uh, first of all, press conference. Uh, I think uh, overall, absolute home run. Both, both uh, coach, uh, both uh, athletic director Moose, Moose, and and Scott seemed quite comfortable. Scott was cl- clearly shaken and choked up, uh, and I'll get into a little bit of why that was uh, a little later. Uh, but uh, and, but Bill Moose was smooth as silk. He was very comfortable. He cracked a few jokes, uh, gave a little bit of insight kind of uh, answered some uh, speculative uh, questions 
you know, there, uh, there was, uh, there was rumor of a meeting between he and Scott Frost, uh, that took place in Philadelphia uh, during the weekend that we played Penn state and Scott Frost was, uh, a team was playing temple. And so it was a natural fit that that would have been a convenient time for them to maybe meet. And of course there were, there, there was never an acknowledgement that that meeting uh, occurred. Um, you know, and, uh, Bill Moose made some comment about having some good sandwiches in Philadelphia um, <laughs> uh, at the time, you know, and then he cracked a joke during the press conference where he said, uh, uh, yes, there was great conversation and all this stuff. And they were good sandwiches. So that was kind of his way of saying, OK, guys, I can tell you the rest of the story. Uh, so anyway, but he just handled it very good. He he just seemed so comfortable. It's like he was I mean, I think I've read this already that that literally the day he and his wife arrived on campus uh it felt like they had been lifelong nebraskans they just fit uh, he is very comfortable uh and uh he has the right mentality um and i think i think he is going to be well liked by nebraska faithful yeah. um and so anyway he handled it very well he answered the questions honestly and accurately but he 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 explained some of the nuance about some things too that I think is uh, reflective of his of his uh, gravitas, his history as an AD. You know, he wanted to make clear, hey, this is what I'm telling you, or this is what I'm sharing with you, and 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 don't think it's that. You know, and he and he even you know was willing to acknowledge or take a a, a few uh, uh, liberties, if you will, about how nice the whole process went for him. Uh, versus what it, how it's gone for some other major programs, i.e. Tennessee. <laughs> so so uh, he made a nudge that way to kind of point out that, you know, hey, this is not an easy process. And this went about as smooth as possible. And, he, and his focus was on respecting Scott and his timeline and what he had going on with his team and, and just taking it as it comes. He says, you notice all these guys that uh, fired their coaches early, like, like Texas A&M and Tennessee uh, who fired their coaches uh, early in the season or earlier before we did. And they still were looking for coaches. Uh, now, obviously A&M, you know, did f- fill theirs eventually, but, but, uh, but the fact is, is firing a coach mid season does not necessarily help you um, uh, uh, unless you already have something predefined in place, right. you know? Yeah. Uh, so, so anyway, it was just really good. Now to Frost, um, you know, I, I thought he handled things well. You could tell he was choked up. And the reason for that was, uh, again, this is a n- nice move by Bill Moose. Obviously, he couldn't let the cat out of the bag too soon because then it would get all over the uh, social media things. He couldn't trust everyone who he wanted to, to potentially invite. But he extended an invitation to any uh, to any and all uh, uh, past um players of Nebraska football, particularly those obviously that played with Scott in the years that he was there. And in literally a, about a 24 hour notice, cause he didn't make this invitation until that time. Cause he, he didn't want it to happen too soon. Does that make sense? Right. Uh, okay. So he puts out the invitation and he got 150 players to show up wow. uh, to welcome Scott home. So Scott walks into uh, the, uh, the building and uh, towards the uh, strength uh, weight room there. And there are 150 guys standing in there waiting for him to welcome him. And so uh, that seems pretty powerful and it's on YouTube and stuff now. So you should take a look at it. If you haven't had the chance to watch it, it's fairly short. Um, and, uh, and then Scott had one of the lines of the, of the press conference. He said, I'll tell you, it was, it was, it, it was, uh, uh, he said, I, two things immediately came to my mind when I saw those guys is number one, it sure was great, great to see all of them. And number two, it looked like most of them had had a little bit too much to eat. <laughs> <laughs> you know, something, something along those lines. He delivered it much more smoothly than I just did. But the bottom line is, is he really, you can tell that, that Scott has kind of a dry sense of humor and, and he likes to ha- poke fun and have fun. And so um, um, uh, that's that competitive aspect of, of things. That is very team-like, and I just I love to hear it. It was a it was a little. He specifically thanked Tom Osborne and uh, Matt Davison. It was clear that Matt, uh, particularly, 
and Tom, uh, just because of his advisory role for Scott, he, Scott indicated that, you know, Tom has been his advisor for most of his life. And, you know, I had forgotten this, but, you know, Scott grew up literally, uh, hanging out on the track at Nebraska because his mom was the track coach at Nebraska. And so when he was a little kid, uh, he, he was connected and knew Tom Osborne even then. Uh, so, um, so Scott and, uh, and uh, and he go way back and is probably one of the most influential people in his life other than maybe his own dad. So um, that was kind of cool. And so you know that he's going to he's going to be getting advice when he needs it. Um, right. And I think he won't be afraid to go ask for it. See, again, going back to the uh, um, Bo Pelini, I think most Nebraskans felt that 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 Bo would respect Tom in the way that we do. And and Bo would, uh, you know, lean on Tom's. Uh, advice and, and then take it to heart. Bo appeared not to do that very often. Most of the time, I think things went in one ear and out the other when it came to Tom Osborne providing advice to him. Right. Well, and I also read that uh, Bill Moose uh, consulted with Tom a little bit, at least during this coaching search. And I'm sure Tom oh, had uh, kind words for uh, Frost. Yes, absolutely. Well, and, 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 you know, Scott, again, another comment during the press conference was, Scott said, you know, I knew that if Tom didn't think this was the right time or that the things weren't in place for me to be successful at Nebraska, he would not have advised me to take this job, even though it was the Nebraska job. So it wasn't just about it being the Nebraska job. It was about the fact that it was the Nebraska job at the right time. And he referenced the fact that, you know, um, uh, the uh, president and chancellor of the university are the right people at this time. That wasn't necessarily true three years ago. He he specifically talked about you know the last time that this job was open and uh, there was some speculation that Scott might have been a candidate at that time. But he was actually glad he wasn't a candidate at that time because it it was the fit wasn't there. It is now because of Moose being there and then um, Ronnie Green and um, and um, oh gosh I'm the other one's escaping me uh, uh, of the three. Uh, key guys so um so it's just uh, it just sounds like everybody's on the same page you know uh, for what we want to accomplish going forward and that the support that he's gonna need and he he got not only a big paycheck for himself but he does have uh, a budget of almost five million dollars for additional staff uh, five million dollars a year so he can he can spend you know considerable amount of money on his two coordinators and still have quite a bit left for uh, his coaching staff and, and then, uh, uh, and, and, and do what he needs to do in terms of recruiting staff and strength and conditioning staff and all that. Right. And speaking of that, um, uh, correct me if I'm wrong again, but I believe that basically his whole staff from UCF is coming over except for the offensive coordinator and the tight ends coach. Is that right? That's correct. That's correct. Uh, the strength coaches are coming over. A couple of the recruiting guys are coming over. Um, so, um, yeah, there is a lot of, of the people that he had put in place for them. And again, his feeling, uh, and he made uh, reference to this. He said, you know, a lot of coaches, you know, take the opportunity when they switch jobs to go out there and get a bunch of big name hires from assistant coaches. He says, this group of coaches, you know, I believe in, I trust them. They, uh, they have the character, uh, and they know how to treat uh, the players, and you know all those things that that Scott holds in very high value. Uh, these guys do, and so he felt very confident that they had the ability to to duplicate the success they've had at UCF here in Lincoln. Yep. And well, so he wasn't about to leave any of them behind, per se. He thought they all did their jobs well. Right. Yeah. Well, and you know, it's hard to question the the staff that's you know led this team to be undefeated and go from zero and twelve to twelve and zero in just two years. Um, now, uh, there is some concern. We've expressed this as well in the past in our podcast about the defensive coordinator, uh, considering that they've had a couple of really big, high scoring, crazy games. Yeah. This Memphis yeah. game included. Um, yeah. So we we that was our that was our big concern was we're not worried about the offensive coordinator so much but the defensive coordinator, correct. And obviously Scott Scott being on the offensive side himself, uh, you know, and being involved heavily in calling the plays and such, you know, he's going to be able to guide. It's going to be his uh, 
his version of the Chip Kelly offense that's going to be run here. Uh, and so, um, um, you know, that's, that's obviously what's going to happen. So whoever is the offensive coordinator is going to be of that mindset as well, right? I mean, one way or another, that's the way it's going to be. Defensively, a little different story. Yeah, I, I would say that I continue to have that concern. And only after the next, you know, I, I won't say the first year because I think we're going to struggle <laughs> mightily in the first year. But as, as I see multiple years happening from here on out, I am hopeful and optimistic that we'll see progress. And that's what I want to see. I want to see our play, those players show progress. The one thing I will say is, is that we, we did generally see pretty decent tackling from those teams when I watched his team play. They tackled reasonably well. Um, uh, and, and our team didn't tackle where the crap. Yeah. So I'm hopeful that, that that will happen. Although it's going to be really interesting to see uh, UCF's defense defend Auburn because Auburn has some powerful, powerful running backs. And um, I'll be curious to see how many tackles this guy, those guys break on UCF defenders. Yep. I have a feeling it might be substantial. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. It, the thing is, he's just taking up, not as he, not only is he taking a step up into the big boy league uh, for this game, which obviously if you're playing in a New Year's Day game, that's the way it goes. But this particular Auburn team, I think, is, is better than their record would indicate. Mm-hmm. Well, well, we'll talk about that in the rankings because I have a thought about that. Um, but overall, let's just get personal uh, feelings right now. You know, this wasn't a surprise to anybody, really. You know, we've been no. – Scott Frost was the guy everyone was talking about, you know, even like the middle of the season. And he was clearly Bill Moose's number one choice. Um, and now here he is, you know, he's got this undefeated UCF team that he's going to lead to the bowl game to possibly – make it a 13 and zero, you know, true yeah. legendary oh season. Oh my, yeah. you know, well, and to, and to, again, to beat Auburn, that would be huge. That would be a, uh, just a, a major statement. Right. And like we said, not very, not likely to happen, but you know, the, I, I think that's part of the factor of why he's continuing a, because Nebraska does, we don't have our own bowl game and B because he beat Memphis and because he has that undefeated record, you know, it gives some extra stakes to like the importance of the season for him and for that team. Um, but I am definitely optimistic. I'm excited. You know, I'm happy that we've got, uh, this hot young coach, uh, talented young coach here, uh, in Nebraska, you know, a Nebraska guy kind of coming back home, like you said, you know, I saw those pictures of like the stadium lit up with like welcome home Scott and stuff like that, you know. And so, like you say, the the fan base is into it, you know, so yep. which they yep. weren't necessarily for Mike Riley because it was just kind of an out of nowhere hire. So this has all the makings of being the right choice, but at the same time, he is very young. He hasn't been a head coach at anywhere near a program of Nebraska's level before. So, and he's in the big 10 now. So there's going to be a lot of adjustments. And like you say, we have a tough schedule next year. Um, so I'm, I'm expecting a, a, a growing pains year uh, for sure. Um, but I am hopeful that uh, this is going to lead us in the right direction. Yes, I would agree completely with what you said. And I would say this, I, I will even go uh, maybe a couple of steps further. I, I think the way that our athletic director has uh, approached this whole thing has been outstanding. He's gained a great deal of respect from me on how he's come in to a difficult situation and managed it. I think I agree with Scott in that I believe that the commitment and the desire for us to reemerge as a significant player in football is is a goal of all the key player people. Uh, at, at the highest levels of the university, including the you know the president and the chancellor, uh, as well as the uh, the entire athletic department. So there's a single-minded focus there that I, I don't think necessarily has been there in the in the past uh, over the last 20 years. And so I'm prepared to say that even though Scott Frost is going to run an offense that I don't love, he doesn't. Uh, I mean he, that that Oregon thing drives me nuts. Uh, but uh, I, w- I will uh, have to acknowledge that it's been very successful, both for Oregon and for some other teams that have done it well, including UCF. And it, it lends itself to um, putting the defense in a lot of difficult situations. So your defense is never going to statistically be 
dominant the way I would like to see our defense be dominant. But with those two things being said, I'm going to tell you two things. Number one, uh, I'm going to go on record in this podcast right now and say I am in with Scott Frost. I am going to be patient. I'm prepared to be patient. And I recognize uh, that, that, that this is a rebuild. It's not a reload or, gee, there's some talent on this team. We might be pretty good pretty quick or something like that. No, I'm, I'm not buying any of that. The bottom line here is this is a rebuild, and we've got to give Scott every kind of uh, opportunity to do that, and he's going to make some mistakes. Uh, some of these coaching hires that he's making now, for example, they won't work out. They won't pan out. Uh, they won't be as good as, as, as is needed to, for us to be successful. And uh, even if Scott doesn't immediately recognize that and make that change himself, I'm not going to bail on him. Scott's my guy, and he's my guy for the seven years. Right. we got to make this work. Right, yeah. Well, that's the thing with that seven-year contract. We were kind of gambling like, you know, we've had this period of, you know, 20 years of mediocrity or whatever it is. Um just about 20 years of mediocrity uh we need you know that this is the time now is what bill and moose is saying like this is where we're going to turn the corner uh and if we don't we're going to be paying scott frost a lot of money <laughs> for his uh right for his contract right. Uh, exactly exactly so, so I, I hope the commitment works out okay so getting off the nebraska conversation we've got a whole bunch of national stuff to talk about as well yeah because uh, we yes. had the big championship games um and we gave predictions on the last podcast about how we thought they were going to turn out um and so how we did it was we said who we thought was going to win and close or blowout blowout being 14 points or more was the thinking um, so I'm going to go through what we said and what the actual game was and who wins out in our little predictions here at the end. Um, <laughs> so we had the Pac-12 championship game of USC-Stanford. Uh, you and I both predicted a close victory for Stanford, um, yes. partially because of their dominant win over Notre Dame the previous week. Um, but then USC ended up winning 31-28 in a close game that uh, Stanford had the chance to win. We were both watching it. There was a fourth and like one at the goal line that they didn't get, um, or something. Well, and and I would argue that they did get it. I would argue that in today's modern era of how they define the end of a play, that guy got into the end zone because he never actually was on the ground. He was laying on a leg, and then he backed into the end zone, and the ball crossed the plane. and And the refs, according to what I've watched all season should have allowed that play to continue and should not have blown that whistle until he actually touched the ground. So, right. Uh, and, and, and then they would have gone and lead right there and the whole thing changes, the whole circumstance right. changes. In that. Or, or, so. or as it turns out, even there, if they had kicked a field goal instead, you know, that would have tied the game. Right. That's right. Um, with, with the eight points they got later. Um, mm-hmm. So now for that, since we, we both said Stanford, close so it was a close game so we got that mm-hmm. right but at stanford lost usc won. so we both yep. lose half a point for that okay this is okay. that ranking thing i was telling you about yeah um, okay then we have oklahoma tcu which we both predicted an oklahoma blowout which turned out to be correct uh yep. baker mayfield had an amazing day he's gonna win the heisman without a doubt uh mm-hmm. stuff tcu you know they were playing them for the second time so not too surprising there um, and then we had uh, the Wisconsin-Ohio State game, game of great interest to us, both of us going with our hearts, I think, more than our minds, and predicting a close Wisconsin victory because um, we both wanted it badly to get that Big Ten team into the top four and to keep Alabama out and all that. Uh, but in the end, uh, Ohio State ended up winning uh, 27-21 with Wisconsin pulling it back in the second half, but not being able to close it out. Right, exactly. And, and really, uh, you, you saw with the big plays that were the difference in the game for Ohio State, just the sheer athletic difference between Wisconsin and, and Ohio State. Ohio State really didn't play all that well. Uh, they had uh, uh, some individual plays where they, they took advantage of of Wisconsin uh, being out of position, et cetera. Uh, but, and then Wisconsin just didn't have the athletes and speed to even be on the field with them. I mean, it was, it was almost 
embarrassing how one-sided that athletic aspect was. Right. And yet there was Wisconsin still still in it at the end <laughs> yeah. because they play so hard and they, they play so consistently well, you know, that even without the premier athletes, they can compete. Right. Um, well, and they're de- really they're, impressive. Yeah. Their defense got some big interceptions. Um, mm-hmm. uh, uh, JT Barrett, you know, there were some drop passes as well as missed passes by him, you know, that were like touchdowns, you know, that, that he just missed or he overthrew his guy. Um, so right. Ohio State definitely made their share, their fair share of mistakes. Um, and I could also tell that Ohio State was kind of loading up the box and daring Hornybrook to uh, throw it. And they're near the end of the game when, like, time was running out and they Wisconsin had to throw it. Um, his lack of ability to consistently make good passes came back to bite them. That's true. I yeah. totally agree. All right. And uh, so that was one. Uh, and then we have now. The, so well, going with all that, you know, uh, we we both said uh, Wisconsin close, like I said. So we both lost there. So we both lose half a point for that. We won one point for Oklahoma blowout since we got that right. Both Oklahoma winning and the blowout factor. So that's one point. So now we're both okay. back to zero in terms of okay. points. Uh, <laughs> then we get to uh, Miami versus Clemson. Uh, and yeah. this was an interesting one. We both predicted a Clemson victory, but I predicted that Clemson would win close, whereas you predicted a Clemson blowout. So you right. are correct there because uh, Clemson ended up winning 3-38, to a total spanking of Miami. Right. It was really uh, a disappointing game from the standpoint that I was geared up to you know, be flipping back and forth between the two games that night. And, and I mean, before you knew it, it was 21 nothing Clemson. It was like, man, this this may not be much of anything. Yeah. Yeah, and like I said, I was at a bar, so both games were going on. But, yeah, I didn't glance over to that game too much. You know, there were so many times where it was like Clemson fumbled it again. It was like, what, again? Like, how did they keep turning the ball over? It was starting to get kind of silly. Um, oh, and we, we have to talk about this. In the Wisconsin-Ohio State game, uh, the field turf – came undone yeah yeah were you having fun with that because we were just joking like when they (laughs) they drew the little line on the screen like where the thing was and they stayed on him for like seven minutes it was insane (laughs) that was crazy yeah that was absolutely crazy yeah the the internet had a lot of fun with that one i'm sure Um, so there you, you take a lead because I get half a point for Clemson close, whereas you get a full point for saying, predicting the Clemson blowout. But now okay. we get to the deciding factor, the Auburn Georgia game where I predicted Georgia winning close, whereas you predicted Auburn winning close. Um, right. So no, Auburn did not win and it was not close. So you lose a full point for that. Whereas mm-hmm. Georgia won and it was not close, so I only get half a point for that. But that means that I end up having half a point more than you in this ranking overall. <laughs> so I win in this predictions uh, because uh, Georgia ended up winning twenty-eight to seven. Um, not as dominant as the Clemson Miami game, but still one where Auburn um, just couldn't seem to get their offense going at all. Right, I I know. Yeah, it was. Uh... You know, I know that I knew that there were injuries and things of that nature that were affecting, you know, the team. Mm. But uh, but man, I really expected Auburn to play better. <laughs> right. Uh, that just tells you how hard it is to you know play your best every week. And they remember had just played the the previous week in the Iron Bowl right. against Alabama and had that grand victory. And it's just really hard to do that, you know. Right. Well, and I had brought up at the time that I knew that their star running back had gotten hurt in that game. Um, and he played in the Georgia game, but um, he was on and off. And I think it was clear right. he was still hurt. Right. Right. I agree. Yeah. Yep. Yep. All now, right. Georgia, Georgia's running backs were also hurt, though. Um, That's true. And they were going in and out of their injury tent all, all game, too. Yep, that's true. All right. And then lastly, UCF Memphis ended up being a 62-55 victory in double overtime. I didn't get to watch that game, but sounds like it was kind of like the UCF game from last week. It was another high-scoring uh, back-and-forth battle. Oh, yes. Oh, my gosh. And double overtime, too. I mean, yeah, it was ridiculous. Now, there were times when it seemed like um, 
you know, UCF might have an advantage, but, but it just, they never could put it all together. And it was just rare that either team actually stopped the other one. And that, mm-hmm. and that, that was not a time that makes me excited about our defensive coordinator. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, it's a little scary. It's, it is a little scary for sure. We'll see. We'll see. Um, yeah. But now of course, then this brings up the, cause Wisconsin had to win to make it easy for the committee, but since they lost, and if TCU had been Oklahoma, that would also would have made it interesting. Um, but since uh, Wisconsin lost and Ohio State won, that became the great debate of who's more deserving a two-loss Ohio State conference champion or a one-loss Alabama. Um, and when the ratings uh, rankings came out, it was Clemson one, Oklahoma two, Georgia three, and Alabama number four. Um, right. I, I did not uh, watch the uh, event itself, but I heard them talking on the radio this morning about their the committee's thinking on it was that um, because I mean, most in large part due to that bad loss to Iowa that Ohio right. State had, as well as yep. Alabama's uh, dominance in terms of the stats lines and the whole eye test of like if these two teams played we think Alabama yeah. would win and that sort of thing. Right. And you know what? I, I can't, I can't argue with any of that. Uh, and, and, you know, you're, especially when you're, you're really uh, splitting hairs on, you, you know, you could make an argument about, well, you know, how state played more teams that were, you know, legitimate opponents, blah, 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 because Alabama's schedule was quite soft. But the reality is, is Alabama dominated the teams they were supposed to dominate pretty much across the board. They had incredible statistical, you know, success. Uh, and, and so that's all part of that eye test that people refer to. Can't, can't argue, can't argue with it. Yep. Yep. Uh, it's, it's hard to argue with the point as well as the fact that they didn't know that Florida state was going to be as bad as they were this year. That could have right. been a marquee, uh, out of conference. Yeah. Game for them. Like Oklahoma, the Oklahoma game was it, for Ohio state. Right, right, exactly. Um, and, you know, we were discussing that if Ohio State had, like, blown Wisconsin out, like if it was, you know, 38-3 to like the Clemson game was, then they might have, it might have been different. But uh, that's not how it turned out. It was a close game. Like you said, Ohio State didn't play that great. So uh, not a great look for the committee. Um, which means that uh, our semifinal games of the uh, college football playoff is going to be the Rose Bowl game with Georgia and Oklahoma and the Sugar Bowl game with Alabama and Clemson. And personally, even though I didn't want Alabama to get in, um, and because this presents the possibility of a SEC-Alabama-Georgia national championship Final. game, um, yep. I am excited just as a fan to watch the uh, the tiebreaker between Alabama and Clemson just because those last two games between those two were so great. And if, if, they, if they could give us a third one as good as those, I'll be happy. Well, yeah, but I'm going to tell you the opposite now. You know, it's frustrating to me that that, uh, and I know they just went with the exact seating one through four, but I wish they would have given because I I think that it's a slap in the face to to Clemson, frankly, because now Clemson's going to play Alabama basically in the heart of SEC territory in a, in a in the traditional conference championship game where there's all kinds of lore and history and connections. Uh, between Alabama and that's and that town of New Orleans <clears throat> so so it's crazy you know what I mean I, I just I just think it, it it gives the you might as well be ranked number four Clemson because you got you got the worst draw of the whole deal having to play Alabama at the Sugar Bowl I think they should have uh, uh, manipulated the rankings if they had to or just flat out said here are the rankings but here's how they're going to be used to set up the the matchups and because we want because we chose to have two sec teams we want to make sure that we do not have an all sec final game right because you want to you want to make college football a regional uh sport again you just keep making these kinds of decisions and eventually the northern schools their fan bases will lose interest because there won't be enough success uh, with northern teams over time and then success breeds success and it just it snowballs. It's it's the Alabama thing to the hilt, okay? You know where where he has now got it rolling in such a way that until the SEC, excuse me, until the NCAA catches him breaking the rules or something like that that derails him, 
or um, he decides to retire, Alabama is going to be in this playoff every damn year. That's just the way it's going to be. And frankly, Clemson is putting themselves in a position where they might very well be that kind of team as long as their coaching staff stays stable uh, and they can continue to recruit at a high level. They're going to be in it every year. And, right. and that, that, that's not good for the sport. That makes it a regional interest. And, and the SEC championship, the SEC uh, only national championship game that's, that's likely to occur uh, is going to be watched by fewer people. Right. However, well, no one's going to give a shit. Well, but you could make the argument that, you know, so if they had done an Alabama Georgia playoff game, you know, which I the, wish they should have in the semifinal, but then you're guaranteeing, okay, well, now we're going to have one game that's an SEC game that lesser less people are going to be interested in. Um, whereas in the as it stands now, we could have a Clemson Oklahoma national championship game or we a Clemson have, Georgia. Right, right. There, yeah, there are yeah. variations here where, yeah, you know, yeah, it plays yep. out that way. Um, I, I, I understand. Yeah. So I, I think. I mean, the committee did the right thing in terms of you know, if they had like ranked Bama somehow. Uh, no, I, way I don't. Above. I, I, I would have, I would have wanted them to force this because they're going to get the all SEC championship. Alabama's not losing again. I'm telling you, they're not. It just pisses me off. I, 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 I just, I, I despise them because they are so good. <laughs> I, 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 I hate Nick Saban because of the choices that have been made. Hate, hate is a strong word. I dislike him uh, because of the choices that he was able to successfully implement within his program that have now become standard for teams that want to play at the highest level. And I think they have been negatives for the overall sport. Right. And and as a result, uh, he's going to he's going to have the players where they need him to be, and I I want Clemson to win that game so bad and ain't funny. Right. Well, I'll definitely be cheering for them too. I was just reminded as well that uh, we're actually going to be in New Orleans around that time. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. So we absolutely will be in New Orleans for that game. Yeah. So that that so, would be. So, Maybe we don't know, go to the game itself, but we go to like the 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 screen outside the stadium absolutely. or something like that. Absolutely, I'm thinking. I'm thinking we're going to want to try to do something like that. Yeah, isn't that exciting? Yeah, although <laughs> I'll have to check my flight because I might be. I feel like I'm flying back on the second. I'm almost certain, but I'll have to check on that. Uh, yeah. But regardless, so, um, and uh, then with the other rankings, I thought this was interesting, Ohio State 5, Wisconsin 6, Wisconsin didn't fall too far, um, them giving them props for playing tough with Ohio State, I think. Um, right. Then number 7, Auburn, number 8, USC, 9, Penn State, 10, UCF. Uh, that's where I thought UCF might end up last week, mm-hmm. so... Uh, I got mm-hmm. that right. Um, but Auburn being above USC, even though USC is a conference champion and Auburn has three losses, I'm not sure how yeah. I feel about that. I, I don't I don't love that either. But again, it's because Auburn beat Georgia and Alabama. So you look to the top of the of the heap and you say, okay, they they beat number one both twice. teams <laughs> when they were number one. Yeah, and and two and teams that after it was after all the chips were on the table, uh, those two teams were still number uh, two and number four, right? And so um, those teams uh, that they beat were substantial, yeah. and that's why. And you look at uh, SC and, and their schedule, and, you know, they beat Notre Dame, and, of course, they, they beat the best of the back of the Pac-12. Right. But that's all that they did, you know, and, and that, that doesn't rise to the level of Georgia and uh, Alabama. Right. Yep, that's true. Um, and so last last thing I wanted to talk about here is just a little bit of the, the coaching carousel stuff, um, because uh, as we were discussing last week, Jimbo Fisher did end up going to Texas A&M um, for a crazy amount of money, like the highest single contract ever um, for a coach. Um, and that there's rumors that Kevin Sumlin, the former coach at Texas A&M, is going to possibly go to UCF. Correct. That is true. Uh, well, he's certainly one that'll be on their radar. Uh, now, it's interesting, based on uh, the athletic director at UCF's comments, uh, someone does have a little bit of baggage that, that might uh, present a little bit of a challenge for him, but, but, uh, but I would not be shocked at all if that were the end result. Now, I am shocked that a coach who 
had the head coaching job at Florida State University, who had won a national championship while the coach there left that university to go to Texas A&M. To me, that's a bonehead choice. I understand you're getting paid, you know, seven and a half million dollars, but you were getting paid pretty damn well. I think five or five and a half uh, a year at Florida State. So it's not like money-wise, there's there's that big a deal there, right? Uh, I mean, how, how much more do you need, kind of thing. Right. So I think the decision by um, uh, Jimbo Fisher to go into the Texas A&M uh, role is going to be a, uh, a mistake for him. Um, I just, you know, not that he won't be a successful coach. He might be a very successful coach there, but is he going to be a national champ successful coach? I think that's uh, 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 to, uh, to be determined. Right. And I was talking last week about how I thought it was crazy that this was coming up, considering that he won a national championship and yeah. won so many conference championships and has a great record there overall. Um, but um, I think that just from looking at a couple articles and headlines, it seems there's more going on there in terms of some stuff yes. he did with the players and disagreements with the administration and things of that nature right. um, that right. complicated the issue. That is correct. I I think that is exactly true. There was more there. There were there were unhappy players because they had a difficult year and some some things had happened or been said or whatever that were hard to kind of easily clean up out of. And so I think he saw the writing on the wall that things were going to get worse than, rather than getting better. And so he saw this as a chance to get out. Right. Okay. So, and I was just thinking about what we should do for next time. Um, Cause now we're getting into the, we're not in the off season yet, but we're getting, you know, into that time. We just got all the bowl games really ahead of us in the championships and all that. Um, so I'm thinking uh, maybe uh, for our next podcast or the one after that, we should go over like all the big bowl games and maybe give some predictions as well as for the uh, semifinal games and all that stuff, as well as whatever Scott Frost, Nebraska-related news has come up. Yes, I, I absolutely agree. We didn't really touch extensively on the individual coaches of Nebraska staff, uh, and we can do that at, on the next podcast as well as preview all the bowl games. Yep, yep. Still a lot to talk about here at College Football yes, Throwdown. So if you all out there enjoyed listening to this podcast, you can find us online at uh, footballthrowdown.podomatic.com. You can leave a comment there and subscribe to the podcast, or you can subscribe to us on iTunes. Leave us a rating or review. Let us know what you think of us. Um, you can email us at huskerpete13 at gmail.com if you'd like to reach out and hear your email read a lot live on the show and have us answer your questions. Um, so thank you out there for listening to this episode and thank you dad for being with me and uh, it's a frosty day in Lincoln so go Big Red go Big Red burn